So welcome back to the second Joseph M. Leather podcast. I'm here with Steve from Gully Leather. How you, How you doing? Steve? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's very good to have you on because we've been good friends for quite a while and and as two leather, leather workers, it would be nice to hear your, your story. So how did you get into leather work? Uh, well, it was kind of a, uh, I guess, a long, uh, drawn-out process. It's something that sort of grew, grew on me over many years. Um, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, it probably started long before I realised my interest in it specifically. Uh, when I was a kid, you know, like when you, you know, watching movies and you see the hero, you know, and he's always got the, the belt and the, and the sidearm and or whatever. And uh, you know, I always thought it was pretty cool, you know, wear the leather jacket and, you know. And I always enjoyed that sort of thing. I had a real sense of adventure myself. And um, I just, uh, yeah, over the years, you know, I was, uh, I was interested in, in um, leather, uh, leather craft, but uh, that came a bit later. Um, but essentially what really brought everything into focus was my design background. So uh, I used to be a graphic designer. And, uh, but what I didn't realize, um, uh, that I was really a product designer. I mean, I was a very prolific drawer when I was young. Um, spent most of my time drawing when I should have been doing my schoolwork. And uh, I found myself always drawing uh, designs uh, for different things. Um, you know, I mean, when I was little, it could have been robots and rocket ships and, and cars and whatever. Um, but, yeah, I found that um, I was really a designer. So uh, that's kind of brought everything into focus for me so that's uh, that's what's brought me to uh, to uh, to uh, really take on leather craft as a career yeah so was there so was there a specific instance where i don't know because i don't know for, for me like in my story I, I found a video on youtube and just from that one video i got into leather work was there a specific moment where it happened or was it just a thing that you saw slowly mellowed into uh yeah i guess it wasn't a pacific moment it was um uh i can remember when i bought my first leather jacket and uh it was you know i felt really cool <laughs> and uh, i enjoyed i enjoyed wearing it and uh you know and i used to be frustrated that you know the, the fake leather belts used to break so you know I used to appreciate a nice good leather belt and and that sort of thing. Same with shoes, you know. It was like, you know, you buy shoes and they're not real leather and they kind of fall apart on you after about yeah. a year. And and so, you know, very early on, I kind of appreciated the quality of leather. I mm. appreciated the the, um, the smell, the texture, the look. Um, yeah. It was a very sensory thing for me. And I'm sure it is for a lot of leather workers, you know, just the, just uh, just enjoying uh, a, a leather product um that you'd use for personal use um whether it be belt or, or jacket or whatever and um um but i had a lot of other interests that kind of had a uh a commonality you know like whether i mean i was into motorcycling i was into archery um you know i wanted to be a pilot you know i did some uh, i did some flight training um for a while and um yeah, I just really wanted to be uh, the person that I admired, you know. Um, I see 
different people, you know, living their lives and doing exciting things. And uh, whether it be a you know nice uh, leather bag or whatever, whatever it was, it was always seemed to be uh, whoever I wanted to be as a person. Um, you know, almost required me to have these things. You know, uh, mm-hmm. to feel like I was, uh, 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 you know, just a more of a part of what I was doing, I guess. And um, uh, and that hasn't changed to this day. You know, I really enjoy. Um, the idea that you can make something that is so practical, um, so desirable in the sense of the just the just the quality of it, um, that uh, you know they're just they're just strong, they're just rugged. Uh, you know, like I take a good backpack for example. You know, something like go camping in. Um, you know, something that you can just throw everything in and you need, and and uh, off you go, and um, you didn't have to worry about ripping or. Or, uh, you know, if you got wet, you just dry it and it's fine and off you go. I mean, a lot of synthetic materials these days that can that um, kind of, uh, you know, crowd into the what was traditionally a leather a yeah. leather domain. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think on the whole, you know, it was, there was there was there were times where I could look back and say, yeah, you know, that's I appreciate that. You know, I appreciate that. You never just walk into a shop. As a poor kid, you know, looking at the leather jackets, that was probably how it started. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, oh, I'd love to have a jacket like that. You know, it looks so cool, you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so eventually I got myself one. And, uh, you know, and I just really, just really appreciated the, yeah. um, the craftsmanship, the, the, the practicality of it all and uh, the look and the smell, everything. It was just, yeah, I just, yeah, I got hooked from then on, I'd say. Mm-hmm. What a... What flight training did you do? Did you do helicopter or a plane? Oh, I actually started off on hang gliders, and oh, okay. uh, uh, I used to have to, I used to have to travel. Uh, they only did hang gliding training, uh, like way down south, um, like here in Adelaide. You know, I was living up more the northern area, and I had to go right down the southern area um, um, to because uh, they had good sand dunes and stuff down there. Yeah. And uh, so I could only go down once a week. It was a really long drive. And, um, you know, and it was kind of, I enjoyed it. And uh, I was, you know, I had visions of being this, you know, traveling around the world and doing hang gliding championships and, you know, living that sort of life, which would have been fantastic if I went that way. Um, but um, being typical me, I kind of uh, uh, was looking at the ultimate. And I thought, well, actually, what I really want to be is, is a pilot as well, you know. Apart from being, a, you know, a, a, you know, a designer and illustrator and things, but I wanted to be a pilot as well. So I started uh, um, doing uh, light aircraft training in uh, yeah. two seaters, you know, side by side two seaters, oh, and um, and uh, the aircraft was called a um, um, what was it called again? It was um, Cessna. Um, I forgot the name of them now. Come back to me. Uh, and it wasn't a Cessna. Um, it um it was there was it was a low wing um two seater uh trainer uh four cylinder engine and um yeah so you used to just go up and uh and flight training was reasonably cheap then it was under a hundred dollars an hour so it's pretty much you know when i was working it was like i had a pretty big chunk of my pay into into this flight training yeah. and uh, i got to uh and again you know i you know i had visions of you know and the you know, again, I with the with the aviator sunglasses and leather jacket and going off for a fly, you know, and um, 
uh, you know, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, but then I, I, uh, I moved into state and I thought I'll just take it up when I get there. And, um, yeah, it didn't quite work out. Uh, flight training was a lot more expensive over time and, uh, you know, didn't have regular work for a while and it kind of. What is hang gliding? Is that the one that on the, on the beach or is that when you jump off like a cliff and you glide down? Is that the. Yeah, yeah, that's the jump off the cliff or run down the hill one. Yeah, oh, wow, was, okay. Um, <clears throat> that's what they do in, like, Switzerland and, and uh, off the mountain. Yes, yeah. Oh, that's and that would have been a lot better, actually, if I kept up with that because there's no instruments. I think you had a little uh, altitude, altitude meter on it. But yeah. uh, essentially you wouldn't, you wouldn't fly unless you had really good weather and that sort of thing. And, yeah, can you, um, you fly in windy when it's windy um, or not? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you just want a good breeze. You want a good thermal, which is sort of an upward spiral um, heat. Yeah. Um, so you kind of get into a spiral where you kind of get in into it and you kind of spiral up to a certain altitude, mm-hmm. and then you can get out of that uh, out of that um, spiral. It's like over rocks or a big car park or, or yeah. somewhere where there's um, hot ground. You'd get a hot like a thermal going up. And you kind of go over that, and you spiral up, and then you kind of leave that, leave that thermal, and then you can glide, and you can theoretically find another thermal, spiral back up again, and you can actually travel, you know, hundreds of kilometres doing that in, in wow, the right circumstances. Cool. And um, yeah, but I never really did got that far, of course. So. Yeah, would have been um, fun though. Yeah, there's a, there's but a guy it, it did. It, it, oh, go on, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say there's a guy on the peninsula. That when he, yeah, like, he has like a fan on the back of his himself, and he like flies along the cliff face with a parachute on. Yeah, yeah, that's more of like a, a uh, I think it's like a like a parasailing type of thing. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, where you have the you have the the yeah, it's more like a yeah more like a um it's a it's a it's kind of a collapsible wing thing. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, the a lot of the uh, modern parachutes um, are similar to that. You, yeah, you put an engine on your back and you kind of <laughs> off you go. And um, but that would have been good too. But um, but yeah, but it did it did feed my growing appetite for adventure as a young young guy. And yeah. uh, I'm glad I did it. I mean, I think it's one of those things where you know you you know you you might regret not even at least giving it a go. You know, it's the old adage. You know, if you're an old man and you, you, you know, you you um, you don't want to have regrets. You don't want to say, oh, "I wish I'd tried that." I wish I did this or that. Yeah. And uh, I've never been that sort of person. I thought, nah, I'd rather try and fail than not try at all. And yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. Did um yeah, because like, cause I'm I'm interested in helicopters. Like, I'm obsessed with. Uh, I really do like helicopters, and I know that you can actually. Uh, at Powerfield, you can actually go up in a, a helicopter or a plane, and you just sort of like test it out, where you fly around for a little bit just to sort of see if you're interested or not. But yeah, that's that's fascinating. The hang gliding, I didn't even know you could do that down. Oh yeah, I mean it's um they're quite advanced. Um, and uh, the one I was going to get originally was called a Moyers Mission. It was a particular type of glider, <laughs> and um, um, but yeah, it was. <laughs> 
it was funny because it was conflicting with my interest in motorbikes because uh, carrying a hang glider on the on the roof of your car is um, is quite a challenge as in itself and impossible on a motorbike. So yeah. that's partly why I got out of it because I thought I was you know that sense of adventure was pulling me in different directions. You know, hang gliding required a certain type of car and a certain you know. Um, allowance of time and weather and everything else and it was too conditional in the sense that it was yeah there was a lot of factors you had to consider mm-hmm. um to uh, you know not just transport a hang glider but to fly it in the first place and then you obviously you'll land it and fold it up and you know it's a yeah. it's a big thing to do um but with motorcycling i found to me it was like flying without wings you know it was like you had the same oh, sensation as yeah. as flying um <clears throat> You still had that sense of speed and the wind on you, and you know that you know it was just really exciting for me. And um, mm-hmm. and uh, so I just I thought, well, you know what, uh, gliding's fun, uh, flying was fun, but motorcycling I can do that any day. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect weather. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, you can just be going to work. You know, you can enjoy it every day. And that was what I really loved about motorcycling was the fact that. You could just you could just get on there. Uh, you didn't really. I mean, even when I was young, before I got married, I didn't even know where I was going half the time. I'd be getting on my bike, warming it up, and thinking, "Where am I going to go today?" You know. But it didn't really matter. The fact is that I was on there, and you know, I could enjoy the ride, and and uh, and uh, which is again where the leather work comes into it because you know there's so many things. You know, you you had again you had the jacket, you know, belt, boots, um, the saddlebags. Uh, tool bags, um, you know, you can, uh, um, you know, the the, um, the the pinion bag, which is the big one that goes at the back. Yeah. Um, you know, you could carry a lot of stuff on the bike. And a lot of the time, you, you know, you prefer to have uh, either leather or, or a wax canvas or, mm-hmm. or a combination of the two. Uh, again, it made the bike look cool and it made it more practical. And, uh, yeah, so, again, that's where the... Kind of the leatherwork uh, and sense of adventure kind of, kind of collided again. So, so uh, yeah. So that's probably where my still my main direction is. I've had like five motorbikes in my time, and um, I'm hoping to get my next one uh, in a, in a month or two. So yeah. So and then I'll be able to make my own saddlebags and everything for it. What mo- what, what motorcycle did you have? It's. Uh, Oh, I've had all sorts. I, I started off on a, just a trail bike, and oh, yeah. then I moved to a 750 road bike, and and uh, then I moved to uh, like a like a Paris Dakar like endurance type motorbike with a giant petrol tank on it, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I went to a, a sports tourer, which is um, uh, more like a sports bike, but you know more designed for long distances. And they were pretty yeah. good. I enjoyed them. But actually, when I got the cruiser, uh, it was 1100 Yamaha cruiser. And I actually didn't enjoy it. It was like it was just yeah, you you because your yeah your feet were in front of you. You couldn't really stand up on the pegs, you know, or anything yeah. like, like that. And kind of had to rely on the the quality of the seat and that sort of thing. And plus, I used to get, you know, I'd ride in the rain and my my shoes would fill out with water and you know it didn't have a windscreen or anything on it. And mm-hmm. uh, I thought, ah, oh, this is not as fun as I thought it would be. Yeah. So, um, but uh, my next bike, I'm hoping um, to get is a uh, is a nineteen seventy nine. Yamaha uh, XV1100. Uh, it's more of a classic bike, air cooled. Um, 
more I can sort of convert it into more of a cafe racer type of thing. Yeah. And again, I can put saddlebags on it and tool bags and things like that. So, and uh, so that's kind of where I'm going to be heading next. I hope so. Yeah. So see how that goes. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to get my motorbike license first. I don't want to get stung by a bee. <laughs> <Is it odd>? <laughs> <laughs> I've never been stung by a bee, but no? um, okay. I did get uh, I did get hit in between the eyes by a bee. I think it was. Yeah. It was a grasshopper or something. And uh, luckily, I had um, I had I used to wear like tinted safety glasses um, yeah. when I was riding, and a big bug. It, it, I had my visor up on my helmet, and this big bug hit me right in the centre of the between the eyes on the on the the frame of the glasses, mm-hmm. and it hit so hard it pushed the glasses into my head. It was <laughs> so, I thought, man, what was that? And uh, yeah, but that that doesn't happen. As long as you got eye protection, you're fine. So yeah, but I've yeah, never been brother, stung by a bee. Yeah, my brother had a KTM. I forgot what. I'm not sure if it was 500 cc or. But yeah. that was that was um, you know when you get into second gear it just wants to take off. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what you want. I mean, it, it's uh, that's half the fun, you know, just to, yeah, you know, just to ride the curves and and uh, yeah. I mean, it's um, and it's a very social thing to do too. Like you ride with other riders and yeah. you know we got that camaraderie as well, mm-hmm. riding and you know enjoying experiencing the the yeah. joy of riding together and that sort of thing. So um. I mean, you can ride alone and enjoy it. I mean, you can ride with a group of people. You can get into a club or or go to a uh, like a, a charity event. There's like actually a couple of charity events now where you can go um, as a, a motorcyclist. You know, specifically. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, a lot of rides for men's health now for depression and and prostate cancer and things like that. So it's a real yeah. blokey thing to do, but it's fun. What's it like through the hills on the motorcycle? Like you have to live close to hills. Um, you know, you can just pick the, the, the best road, your favourite road. You know, you've got some windy roads and straight roads and and a uh, combination of the two, a lot of little country towns. You even have, like, cafes that kind of almost specialise for um, motorcyclists, you know, like the kind of like motorcycle cafes. It kind of comes but goes back to the old cafe racer type of thing where, you know, motorcyclists would just go from cafe to cafe to cafe and that was their day, you know. But, yeah. you know, they've got a version of that where you can do that in the hills as well. And uh, you've got places where motorcyclists would generally stop for, for, for a feed or a drink or something and, uh, you know, and uh, swap stories and stuff like that. So, yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, um, hopefully when I get this bike, um, and because uh, I know who's got the bike and they're willing to sell it to me, so I've got a Pacific bike. I want to get it here and then start doing the templates because you need the bike to do the templates on it so you can get, make sure it fits you know, around the seat and the exhaust and the frame and everything else. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it's kind of one of those uh, – Leathercraft is one of those um, pursuits where, you know, you can you can push it in any direction. It's so versatile. Mm-hmm. And uh, even if just within one one product range, you know, whether it be a saddlebag, you know, you can do just like 100 different styles and versions and, you know, there's just so many different ways you can do it. You can really, as a designer specifically, you can really – put your own um your own personality into it so which is great yeah. so with um if you are creating saddlebags for bikes are they yeah are they like if you design it for one bike is it different for another bike or will they will it will a saddlebag fit all motorcycles oh, yeah you can make uh 
you've got your different sizes and basic shapes. Um, you can make them more versatile. Um, like um, uh, it really depends on the, the if you've got just a straight sort of um, wire frame on the side of the bike, then you can just have little buckles that sort of strap to it or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, hooks and straps but yeah um i think um inevitably you get people who make like like saddlebags for a specific make and model of a bike you know like harley for example you'd have particular bags that go from a particular style of bike or or you'd have a a, a a mounting system that would match the bag and that sort of thing so yeah. so uh, they're easy to take off and on you know you can just little key lock and lift it up and off it you, you sort of remove it pretty quickly Mm-hmm. Where if you had like little buckle straps, um, you know, you'd have to obviously undo each one separately and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, because some people, you know, like they're traveling, they they don't like to leave their bags on their bike overnight, for example. So they want to be able to take them off and just bring them into a hotel room or whatever, just as luggage sort of thing, you know, and then just reattach them in the morning and off they go. So, oh, really? Um, Andy. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 um, it's it really depends what you want to do like some people have them permanently on you know they just empty them you know and just take out what they need and and um that sort of thing and uh but there's so many different varieties that some that they're actually leather on the outside but they're fiberglass on the inside and they have key locks and everything on them so you can leave them yeah. leave them locked and with your gear in and that sort it's of like thing carrying well. a safe around. <laughs> really yeah yeah so uh but yeah, I'm a, I'm still a bit old school, you know. I like to just, you know, I just like just, you know, it's a bag. It looks like a bag, and it, you know, uh, you can either, you know, attaches it or it doesn't. You know, it kind of um, you got different ways. You got the uh, ones where they, they kind of clip onto the sides of the bike, and you got the ones that kind of uh, you take the seat off almost, and you can strap it over the over the frame, and then put the seat back on, and you know, so lots of different things. So yeah. yeah. But uh, a bit like, uh, you know, traditionally, you know, like with horse people, you know, like with their saddles and their saddlebags and the stirrups and the reins and, and yeah, um, yeah. you know, all the different 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 straps and that they have, you know, it's kind of comes from that, you know, we're kind of this modern age where most of us are deprived of a, of the uh, use of a horse. So the bike kind of um, um, yeah. takes the place and uh, the same sort of attitude exists, you know. You really, you know, some people just want it to look like, you know, um, like it's just really natural and, you know, nothing is, you know, plastic and and vinyl and stuff. They really want the real leather and, yeah. and uh, fortunately that hasn't really changed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. What's the furthest you've ridden on a motorcycle? Have you got into state or? What was that? What's the furthest you've ever Oh, ridden? yeah, yeah. Well, my, my, my furthest I've ridden... Um, I rode from Adelaide to to Darwin with a little help from the freight train. What? Um, I um, I uh, this was actually had a, that was my first bike, my 250 Yamaha trail bike. Wow. It was an XT Yamaha 250, uh, air cooled, um, kickstart, and I rode it from Adelaide to Port Augusta, uh, which is about 300 kilometres, I think, approximately. And uh, I knew someone who worked at for the railways, and I got my tr- my bike put on a freight train from um, me and the and the bike got on the freight train uh, from Port Augusta to Alice Springs, which was about another 
uh, that must have been oh, the twelve hundred kilometres, I think. And um, so, and they had a, like a sleeper car on there because the uh, the train drivers would change, and so I got a cabin on the sleeper car, and uh, the um, the bike was sort of in the the caboose, the last the last uh, wagon on the, on the train, and. Um, and uh, and then I got off. Uh, you know, basically, I woke up in the morning. The train had pulled into the uh, Alice Springs railway yards, and I sort of woke up and it was really quiet. And I thought, "Oh, this train's not moving." I look out the window and thought, oh, I'm in some sort of railway yard. <laughs> I sort of like I get out of the sleeper car and then I look out, look out, open the side door and I look out and it's like oh, nobody anywhere. I think it was like a Sunday morning or something. Uh, six o'clock in the morning and I'm looking around and I'm like I don't think there's anyone who's going to help me get this bike off this um off this um train so anyway I went to the I went to the uh, the uh the uh the the rail car and I untied the bike and I kind of um it was next to a fortunately it was next to a platform and there was a ramp at the end of the platform so I got it off and I sort of like wheeled it down and and uh, still nobody around, and I thought, well, how am I going to get out of here? Is this place locked up or what? I wasn't sure. Anyway, sort of like I put all my gear back on my bike and everything, and um, all my bags and everything else, and I get on there and I start it up, and I'm sort of riding through um, Alice Springs, you know, early in the morning, and uh, and I figure, well, because I didn't have to pay for, for anything, um, it was all it was all sort of a a, um, a favour. So anyway, I thought, well, I've got another. 1500 kilometers to go so i better keep moving so heading north from alice springs uh, for those who know it's already in uh, northern territories but it's still another like 1500 kilometers to darwin <laughs> anyway and off off i go and i thought well okay um yeah and then i ride along it was pretty pretty uh before they did a lot of the roads up so it was a, the actual road was quite narrow even though it was the main highway and I'm riding up, and what I did is every time I stopped at a town, would it be like Tennant Creek or Catherine or something like that, I'd go to the local swimming pool, and that would be where I'd rest. I'd have a swim, I'd have a shower. I mean, they had a canteen there, so I could eat. You know, I could just sort of sleep on the lawn. Uh, so it was actually good, you know, for, for like, you know, 3 or $4 or $5, what it is for entry. You know, I had basically use of the whole um, facilities, which was fantastic. I thought, oh, this is actually works out well. But I did camp out overnight because um, I, uh, I didn't have much money, so I thought, well, I have to camp out in the middle of nowhere. So I'd just sort of <clears throat> pull off the side of the road and ride in off the road about you know 100 meters or so, and then um, set up camp and stuff. Move all the rocks out of the way and put some um, spinifex grass down. Put the tent on top of it so it'd be reasonably soft put my sleeping bag out and that sort of thing and then try to fall asleep with all the all the um, beef cattle moving away uh, in the in the in the night and uh, I wasn't sure if they were going to come over and check me out because cows can be a little curious they uh, lose interest pretty quick but you know they can sort of wander around kind of figure out what's going on and uh, but yeah I think I only did that one night because I did they did go to one town and uh, um, I went to there was like a caravan park there and I went in for a drink, and the guy saw my bike, and he says, "Oh, where you, where you uh, setting up camp tonight?" And I said, "Oh, I was just going to go down the road a bit and go off the road." And he said, "Nah, don't worry about that. You know, just just go camp on the lawn over there because they had like a tent area, obviously." And uh, 
So uh, he gave that to me. I think I didn't have to pay for it. I think he figured, well, at least I'll be you know, buying food and drinks there. So, so that was good. That was good. Uh, setting camp up on grass is better than uh, some rocky ground somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, um, but yeah, eventually I got to Darwin. Um, poor bike. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed it even made it. I was basically, as I was riding the Darwin, I was on full throttle. Uh, and all that the bike could manage was 80 k's an hour. Oh, and so, so I thought, ah, I'm not going to be able to ride this thing back to Adelaide. So, because um, so, I was visiting family and that up there. So I stayed with family and stuff like that. And then I uh, got the bike, put on a, uh, a, um, a road train or a freight train back to Adelaide. And then I just took the bus back uh, a few weeks later, which wasn't as fun, but but it was an adventure, and I'm glad I did yeah, it. So, um, but yeah, probably basically to answer your question, it was about three thousand k's one way. Wow. So for a little two fifty trail bike, that was uh, that was pretty ambitious. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? What, yeah, what's it like? Like, what do you wear when you go for a ride that long? Because obviously the sun beating down on you. What do you, do you just wear? Oh yeah, well, I had a uh, I had a uh, helmet that had like, it was like a a trail bike helmet. So I had oh, a bit yeah. of a visor yeah. above the uh, face, and um, and um, and uh, I had goggles, I think yeah. And um, but yeah, just long sleeves, gloves, um, uh, long trousers, boots. You know, I had to cover up because yeah, you, you know, being out in the middle of nowhere, no shade, so. You know, had to keep yourself pretty covered. As long as you're moving, you've got that airflow. You actually yeah. don't get that hot. Yeah. And uh, once you stop, you, you 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 get hot really quickly. So um, that's the only, that was the only problem because you're going into the tropics as well. So you yeah. had all the humidity as well. So that was uh yeah that was fun trying to wear all this gear and uh, you know it's like eighty percent humidity. Oh. And uh, but I survived. Yeah. I'm glad I did it. Yeah. So then, yeah. how did so so how did Gully Leather come from is that sort of how you named your business gully leather from the all the outdoors that you do uh yeah that was sort of a mixture uh, um there was no one reason for calling it gully leather uh, yeah. except for um firstly um i did live in a, in tea tree gully at the time and uh, um, but that wasn't the main reason for using it it was um i did used to go hiking um, up a place called Anstey's Hill, which is sort of in Tea Tree Gully. And uh, it's all sort of like a recreation park now with car parks and walking trails and everything now. But when I used to go, there was nothing there. There was just an old uh, abandoned um, quarry um, and there was sort of like blackberry bushes growing everywhere. So I used to go up there and just pick wild blackberries. And um, and um, uh, so that was kind of my connection to and plus i used to ride up um when i had a bike I used to ride up to gully up through the gully there um there's a nice ride up there as well and plus yeah. i like I, I was looking for a name that, that was short and easy to remember and mm-hmm. um and, and i like the name gully it just had a nice down-to-earth feel about it and uh, and from a um i guess from a um a different perspective you know if you're out if you're out in the country or out in the bush or the hills or wherever you are, the gully is normally the nicest place to be. That's normally where it's cooler, yeah. uh, where it's shade. You might have water there. 
um it might be just it might be more bird life there um you know it's just nicer you know yeah. like if you're up on the ridge and it's it's all rocky and it's hot and and um it might be good for covering distance like if, you, if you're walking across land you want to walk across the top of a ridge where, where possible but when you, when you stop you don't want to stay there on top of the ridge you want to come down into a nice gully and yeah. and just enjoy this little micro environment you know and uh so yeah there was there was a lot of thought that went into no, the name yeah yeah and uh yeah. and i felt more connection to the name as well yeah. rather than just calling it a random name i just wanted to say no i want to be something that meant something to me on on a lot of different levels uh it brings back a lot of good memories as well and uh and uh so yeah gully leather it was you know mm-hmm. i just really enjoyed the gullies and um just um the yeah it was just it was just a nice place to be you know it's yeah. just um uh the trees were normally taller as well and um so you had a lot more shade not just from the hills themselves but from the trees and and um yeah and uh i mean these days you go on like any walking trail they generally follow a a, a gully uh mm-hmm. you know whether it be a national park or something like that uh or recreation reserve you know the, the paths inevitably will go through some nice nice gully areas and and uh and plus it was uh also i wanted to use a name that was kind of uh typically australian as well yeah you know i, I know the use of gully, gully uh, is yeah. Australian an Australian term? Uh, I wouldn't say it originated in Australia necessarily. I think, um, you know, like, um, I think they use it in America, but, you know, they, like in America, they have a lot of different names. Like, you know, a gully could be a ravine, it could be a box canyon, it could be it could be just a valley, you know, it could be anything, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't want to call it ravine leather or, you know, box canyon leather you know it didn't really have that australian feel yeah. to it ravine and i felt sounds nice, though. which one ravine leather sound ravine leather sounds nice, yeah but yeah yeah but i wanted something that was easy to say as well and yeah. uh, something that was typically australian something i had yeah. a connection to and uh, just the fact that i was living in titri gully at the time just kind of just mm-hmm. confirmed it for me but yeah, yeah this is um this is uh this is the name for me so yeah i think it's important you know i guess if you ask a lot of people why they called their their, their uh, you know leather business what they did then you could probably find that there were a lot of thought gone into it you yeah. know they may not even realize you know so yeah oh yeah I, I definitely understand that because yeah when you when you do create a name it's so hard because you know it's the opportunities are endless you know and it's trying to find that one name out of yeah um yeah. oh definitely yeah yeah definitely and um um i mean you get some people who kind of like they might import leather bags from india or pakistan and they kind of make up a name and uh you know i, I sometimes think ah oh, do they really have any connection to it it's just is it just a sort of a business exercise for them or yeah you know you can kind of tell you know i mean even though they uh they kind of um make a business of it but you know i just felt no if you're going to have your own business you really need to it really needs to be an extension of who you are as a person you know it's like a like a like a tool is like a hammer is an extension of your arm you know 
and uh, where you know, and a business is an extension not of you, not only of your strengths and your your interests, yeah. um, but it's an extension of your identity as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, and because uh, you need that because because there are going to be times where things don't really work out the way you want to. Um, but the, you know, if it's just a business, you think, oh well, you know, I'm not really, you know, have any attachment to it anyway. And that's sort of the I, I, yeah. That's sort of the the battle between like the craftsman and the businessman. You know, the businessman yes. wants to make, you know, the cut costs to make money sort of thing. We're not all businessmen, but you know, you're trying to maximize profit, whereas the craftsman wants to make something beautiful. And it's sort of that when you own your own business is that constant tension between the two exactly yeah like i i um you got to know what your business stands for you know like for me it's a design business uh, uh firstly uh and then secondly it's a quality um brand um so i want eventually i want people to say when they think of gully leather they think well it's quality you know, it's it's very well designed. It's very practical. It's very well made. Um, it's not going to fall apart. It's not going to break. You know, um, you know, I want people to feel no. And if I get something made by Gully Leather, I know it's going to be good. And um, um, so that's the craftsman in me. You know, that really wants to be proud of what they're made. You know, as opposed to someone who just imports stuff in a brown cardboard box and calls it a business. You know. Um, a craftsman doesn't doesn't think that way. You know, it might be easier to just, uh, in some ways, just get your your um, your brown cardboard boxes from China or India or somewhere, and have a business. But I think for a craftsman, they 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 like the process. They yeah. like the way of creating something from nothing and being able to look at a drawing they've you know they've they've sketched out and think, I want to make that. You know, I want, mm-hmm. I want to, I want to, I want to, yeah, and imagine all the options, the different colours and sizes, and and yeah. everything else, and and who would be the customer, and that sort of thing, and having that, ultimately having that relationship with your customers, uh, where they they're the ones that are, that are um, uh, raving about you, you know, they're your marketing almost, you know, in that sense mm-hmm. that they they say, oh, you know, this, you know, for example, you know, Gully Leather or whoever it is can say. Say those go go talk to them. They, they they you won't have any problem with them. They're very reliable. Um, you know, if they say they're going to make something for you, they're going to do it. You know that sort of thing. And then you know, give them something. They think, wow, well, this is this is better than what I thought. You know, I mean, you know, it's sort of a hard nosed businessman might sort of shake his head at that, thinking, ah, you, you make a lot of work for yourself. And but you don't want to be scared of work. You know, if you're doing work you love, then obviously. You know, you might be intimidated sometimes by the complexity of a business, but you know, at the end of the day, you think, well, you know, as long as I can, I can um, uh, make a living at this, I'll keep doing it, even if I don't make a million bucks. You know, yeah. Um, you know, but um, you got to. I think what you know, getting back to what you're saying about, you know, the 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 differences between a craftsman and a businessman. I mean, you, at the end of the day, you have to be both. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's this reality of it, you know, and uh, you can make these beautiful things, but they're just going to be for yourself and your friends. You're never going to make it, make any money 
and uh, you got some leather craftsmen. You know, I mean, you see them online; and they make these beautiful things. And, and they think, oh, I finally finished this. It's only taking me three months. <laughs> uh, like, yeah, that's great, but yeah. you're not going to make a living making one item every three months. You know, and yeah. for them, but you know, if they have any aspirations of making a living at it, they could, could do some radically different changes. Yeah. Get machinery and you know, a working space and, um, you know, place to store your leather and some sort of process, you know, like a product development process, even if it's just a basic one, you've got to have some way of of planning what you're going to make, when yeah. and who, who it's for. And, you know, obviously you've got Christmas season and Father's Day and all these other things, you've got to factor all that in and think, well, if I'm going to make stuff for Father's Day, I've got to start three months before and I've got to make sure I've got enough you know, so you've got to think like a businessman. Mm. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you've got to think like a, a craftsman as well. Yeah. This is why I really see myself as a designer because a designer doesn't just design the product. They design the business and they design the customer experience. They design the the um, the, um, the the business from start to you know, the supply chain innovation, yeah, I don't know if you've heard that term yeah. before, where you take something no, and you, say, you design every step yeah. right to the display in the shop, you know, how is the product displayed and how um, the person that comes into that shop, that they're not just buying something, they're really engaging in an experience, you know, like say, for example, a right to the point little details like like the the shop assistant coming up and explaining what the leather is what's you know what's it used for you know it's that sort of um this called um uh information assisted selling you know so you're really designing it right to that point where the person is actually in the shop selling it knows what they're selling and uh so like a design a designer thinks of all those things and uh so it's uh it might seem a little obsessive to think of every little detail but uh, unfortunately you if you want to be you want to stand out you've got you've got to be more than just a guy that makes you know this and that you know you want to be say well you know, he's, he's not only selling it he's explaining what he's selling you know and i yeah. find that all the time when i go to a shop and uh and then, you know, you ask a question and the person doesn't know what it is. And I just think, well, I'm not going to buy it if I don't know. If you don't know what it is, I'm not going to buy it, you know. So, yeah, just little things like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think because when you first start out in leather craft, you, you are sort of doing a lot more, a lot more leather work. Like you're building your products that you want to make and you're sort of refining your skills. And then sort of when you take that next step, so that's sort of the step that I'm in, that I'm in now. It's sort of you're doing a lot less leather work and more trying to get noticed, you know, by, by building a brand name and trying to market yes. your products. And the sort of the leather work sort of becomes a lot more minuscule until you get, you know, people buying. Well, that's, items. yeah, yeah. That's the, uh, someone once said, you know, um, uh, they basically said, you don't make money from making things. You make money by selling things. <laughs> Yeah. You know, so yeah. you've got to really think about the selling as well, yeah. and uh, um, and sometimes you've got to put time aside for that. And mm -hmm. um, um, you know, even if you're going out, you know, visiting people, you know, 
um, like stores that would like to stock what you're you're making, for example. That takes time, and uh, mm. ideally you need a you need a little team, you know. And uh, starting up a business, you know, you ideally you know somebody concentrates on the design and the product development and the manufacturing. Then you have someone who probably focuses more on the the selling and the you know customer interactions and and um, keeping uh, keeping a record of what's where the interest is so you're getting feedback from prospective customers and you're giving that back to the designers saying well people are really asking for this and this and that or this you know like a wallet you know what people are asking for little coin pouches in their wallets and you might think well people don't really use coins anymore but if people are asking for it you've got to put it in but you wouldn't yeah. you wouldn't know that unless you're getting that feedback from the, the sales rep mm-hmm. and um so yeah, so you've got to really have that kind of system in place where the each person in the team understands that their role, regardless of what it is, is a really a customer-centered role. Even if they never even see a customer, they've got to understand that this is not just a job. You know, we just do this and do that and you get paid. Do you think you don't get paid by the employer? You get paid by the customer, yeah. you know, yeah. and uh, happy customer, you know, is, is a good thing, you know. So mm-hmm. you got to think you know, everybody's got to think like that. I mean, we might we've we've all worked with people who don't have that customer centered focus. Yeah. They come in, they 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 push their buttons, and you know, and and uh, and they think oh, I've done my job, and uh, they think, well, you know, is the um, what's the quality like? You know, yeah. you look at it, oh, it's a little bit. It's not quite, um, it's not really um, made properly, you know, and how are you going to expect to sell that? If it's not getting sold, you're not getting paid, you lose your job, you know. So, you get, you know, everyone's got to have a real sort of sort of a quality slash customer focus yeah. to, uh, to even um, have, a, have a sustainable job. So, yeah, and th- that's, that's, that's uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's the, the way the, the world is mm. going because... This is sort of one of my questions that, you know, with a more connected world, instead of competing with, you know, the leather crafter down the road, you're essentially competing with everyone else in the world. And you sort of have to leave your mark. And I I feel like customer service, like if you're really connected with people, it just, because I know with me, you know, if I'm looking at a product, you know, trying to find a pair of shoes, it's... That's pretty much how you try and you sort of make your purchase on, you know, how personal yeah. and is the person I'm buying from. Oh yeah, I think it's. it's uh, I think you really got to have a, a mission. You know, you've heard of the term a mission statement. You know, you walk into a business and they have this is my mission statement up on the wall, and uh, they're quite generic, and they oh, don't really stand out. Is that what you said? You mission. know. A mission statement, you know, like some companies have got a mission statement, which means this is why we exist. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah. and um, if you really want to stand out as a as a business, you've got to your mission's really got to be who is your customer and what do you admire about your customer. Mm-hmm. And this goes right back to what I was saying that when I was a little kid and how I admired certain types of lifestyles and you know the sense of adventure and and uh and that sort of thing and if you're if you want to stand out then you can think well um i've got to look for customers that have that same uh 
fire, that same sort of, um, uh, the, you know, maybe a little wild heart. They just really want to they go out and they do things, you know, whether it be recreational things or whether it's part of their, their own. Um, um, you really got to be a company that says, these are the people we admire, whether they're our customers or not. These are the people we admire. And they're the sort of customers you ultimately want to draw from. And um, so for me, if I, I mean, I've asked myself the same question, like, how am I going to stand out? You know, am I, what am I doing? Is it really matter? You know, we all ask that question. We all have those questions. Um, but, you know, to my answer to me, and I guess to anybody, is you, to stand out, you've got to be, um, you've got to be the person who says, this is why we're here. Well, um, like, I think, well, if I really love motorcycling, it's, it's exciting, it's a lot more interesting than just getting in the average car and going from A to B. <laughs> um, and if I market it myself, say, to motorcyclists, not that I'll do that personally, specifically. I mean, there's companies that do that, which is fine. But, you know, I want to identify with that spirit. You know, like the the same spirit that uh, uh, Amelia Earhart got in an aeroplane and, and flew, you know, around the world, or or um, Charles Lindbergh, or or um, um, people like that who just you know who you know incidentally just wore these great big flying leather coats and stuff, you know, you know these big um, gauntlet gloves and you know it was all cool, you know, and uh, identifying with that type of and marketing yourself as such and uh you know not just marketing yourself on the features of your product but um the benefits you know uh, what is it what's it for what can it be used for you know and uh you know like uh, it's a you know like a you know a big bag that can you know take into a nice high-end hotel or you can just strap it on the back of your motorbike and go for a riding trip you know camping out you know you just sort of whatever you want it to be you know you've got to sort of yeah, so you're really not promoting your product. You're really promoting the person who uses that product. If you yeah, know there's, I mean. a, there's a term. For I mean, that. a lot I of companies. Sort of, it's like association. I don't know the I don't know the, the specific term for it, but it's association where you associate a product with something like you know, you know, a motorcycle bag and then adventure. You know, you associate the yeah, two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and the whole Australian side of thing as well, you know, like yeah. Australian made for you know Australian adventurers or whatever it is, you know, yeah. you kind of uh, you'd have to word it, you'd have to be, you know, you'd have to sit down and you know condense it down to something that's really just feel, yeah, that's that's my mission, yeah. and that's what I want to do. You know, it's not about just being a, a very happy craftsman, but you're really you want to be known for um, a particular thing you know yeah. you want to be the go-to person so you don't want to be the jack of all trades necessarily that makes everything for everyone <laughs> uh, even though for a craftsman that can be very tempting you know i know i think oh, i'd like to you know get excited about all these different things and and um you know and um but you know at the same time i think oh, i could probably you know i'd have to make stuff for women as well i mean you know i'm sort of thinking about handbag design you know i think well i don't wear handbags but you know i, I can appreciate the design you know if it's a good design yeah 
yeah. and um, you know, so you got to got to you got to think, you know, a little bit wider than probably your narrow interests, but yeah. um, you don't, you bet you don't want to go overboard and just make everything for everybody, you know. Yeah, um, I there remember certain things. Yeah, I remember when I did my first ever market, and I, I want to get back into doing markets again because I think markets are just. They're brilliant because you, you you got the customers and you sort of can see their their reactions to your product and that sort of stuff. But I remember when I did my first yeah. market, I did a Christmas market in 2018. And all I had yeah. was minimal, minimalist wallets and I had my one type of minimalist wallet and my some a bell and all that sort of stuff and, and a bell. Yeah. And it's so interesting yeah. because the customers, I know, first of all, you get, you get the judgment of people. But second of all, you sort of you yeah. really notice that you design things that you like, you know. Like I was, yeah. That was my early stage of leather craft, and all those products I designed them because I liked them, and it might have not been what the customer wants. So I thought that was that was such an interesting ex- experience. Oh, it is. Yeah, I've, I've, when I did some, I did a few markets as well, and um, um, it was very interesting. <laughs> some of the, you know, like because kind of trying to work out the feedback from customers and yeah people come up and talk and stuff which is fine and then you get people who won't even look you look at you just invisible just <laughs> <laughs> walk by and, I was like, and it's like not necessarily they didn't like what i had or anything but i remember was one guy he had this little kid on his shoulders and he was obviously you know young dad i think he had another another child in tow as well and i think he was just following his wife around and and um you know, he just looked like a normal bloke, and he didn't even give me eye contact. And I, I wondered for a long time why. Why was that? It was not even a just sort of a you know casual glance at the table. And uh, all I could put it down to is, um, he was probably comparing him to me, or maybe I don't know for sure. But I'm thinking, well, I'm doing something, and he probably was a little frustrated being a young dad, having to devote so much time to kids. I mean, I've had young kids, I understand, you know. So yeah. But it was it was that was just a little thing. But I found that with some of the markets I did, that the other market stalls were buying my stuff for their kids, so they're buying them as gifts. And um, so I found that oh, it's definitely the gift side of things is important. You've got to have something small enough, like I said, like a a wallet or or a key ring or something that um, that some say, yeah, I know my son loves this or something, you know, and so. Um, so it's, um, it's not a, it's not a, um, you know, everyone's individual, but I, I found for me personally as the seller, I had to really be focused on the customer. You know, I found that was, that was while yeah. I was there. And yeah. uh, cause I went to, I went to other stalls as well and bought things. And, um, the one thing that annoyed me was that you would buy something off the stall and the stall owner is all smiling and engaging and everything else, right? And soon as the soon as the purchase is approved, it was like I disappeared. <laughs> Literally, they just boom. it's like I'm still here, you know. And it's like they're they're engaging until the the moment the the payment goes through, and then they just like they just look down and they're just rearranging the table. And I'm like, I haven't even walked away from the table yet, you know. I thought that was a little that's. Uh, there's something I would never want to do. I said, I'm there yeah. for the customer. Yeah. Whether they buy something or just bought something, um, there's nothing worse than buying something and then the person doesn't want to engage with you anymore. 
Yeah. And uh, I think that's a mistake. I think that's why some people don't succeed. Um, it's because they, they're, they're there for the purchase, not for the customer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd rather make the purchase and still, if I, if no one else around, I'll still, mm-hmm. you know, I'll still talk with them and, you know, take an interest in them. You know, yeah. It's not just the purchase I want, those mm-hmm. important as that, as that is. <laughs> I want that person to know that, oh, that was a good experience. I enjoyed yeah. that. Uh, I got something. I got. I got something out of it. I bought something, but I'm really glad. I'm. I'm happy to buy from that guy again because I like that guy. You know, that's standing behind that table. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, little things like that are so important when you when you're interacting with customers. And uh, so, if you have that focus, I don't believe you. You would. You would. That would be like a, a competitive advantage, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like it's saying, I really want to stand out. How do we stand out? Do we do marketing? Do we do online stuff? I mean, we do a lot of lot of things to stand out. But at the end of the day, those opportunities you have to to engage with a prospective customer is is so valuable because they're the ones that are going to go. You know what? Oh, thanks for. Oh, I really enjoy this product they bought. I'm going to take your card as well. Yeah. I know somebody I can give that to. You know, but if yeah. I resent the purchase, I felt like I oh, I'm a bit used a bit. You know, they got their purchase and then I they just turn off like a robot. It's like, <laughs> you know, I've found another. No, that's not good. You know, if you want to, yeah. if you want to have regular customers specifically, you know, because that's sometimes the life of a business having return return customers. You know, you want people to feel that their first interaction with you was 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 human and and um, and um, interesting. You know, yeah. they take an interest in them and they say, oh, you know, that's an interesting person who just um, sold me that. And, uh, you know. Yeah. And, uh, that actually leads on to the next question, I read a book actually. once. Yeah. Oh, sorry, go on. Yeah. Yep. I was going to say, so, yeah, so I was yeah. going to ask, um, do you think because of the rise of the small of small leather crafters, this has dented the mainstream, quote, unquote, luxury industry? Because I feel like... Two years ago, like within the past two years, there's been an explosion of leather work, and yes, and sort of a mistrust of the main luxury brands, especially you know where they're made, and the 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 quality of materials that they use. It's more so. I feel like there's a lot more of like they're more under a microscope now as. As opposed to use. Yeah, and so they should be. I mean, when you're paying. When you're paying top dollar, you know, I'm talking about, you know, five thousand dollars for a bag. You know, you want to, you know, there's more than just the bag. Again, it's that whole sort of thing. Well, who made it? It was a, was it a sweatshop in Pakistan, or, you know, was it, you know, made by a craftsman, or, you know, um, I mean, I guess, I guess, um, for me, um, you know, getting back to us saying that I was a quality brand, uh, that's to say that I'm not a luxury brand. Because a luxury brand, I, I Louis Vuittons and and uh, Hermes and all these really high-end companies. And then you have companies which you call quality brands where you still can get a reasonably high price for your product because you, you're selling quality and that sort of thing. You're not like as opposed to a budget brand who just, you know, selling everything for, you know, 69.99, you know. Uh, you're not going to get much quality from that sort of company. 
So you really want to position yourself somewhere in the middle where you say, well, we're a quality brand. Uh, we're not competing with the luxury brands. Um, we, you know, you make it very obvious that, you know, it's Australian made. Uh, it's, it's not for me, I'll be saying it's uh, it's designed in Australia. It's it's uh, it's it's made in Australia by an Australian company, you know, because if you, um, you want to have a sort of that sort of Australian rugged product, you know, that's kind of part of what I want to do as well. So say, for example, if someone comes in from overseas for like a tourist, they buy things like that. I've been to Sydney and it's just 95% tourists and uh, they're walking around with their, with their, with their um, paper shopping bags that from high-end stores. And they're obviously after luxury brands, um, but um they they why would a person travel you know a thousand kilometers on a plane to another country and buy something that they could potentially buy in their own country because mm. they're coming here for the experience you know and ideally buying something that reminds them of their of their of their holiday mm. that's why i want people if they buy something from come overseas and buy something i made here in australia they can say this is made in Australia, you know, when they go back and they go, oh, wow, this is really nice, you know? Yeah. And, um, so, uh, yeah, so I think, um, the, um, the quality, the, the luxury brands can be a bit sneaky mm. and they can pretend, oh, this is made in Italy, you know, but it's really made in a back. Yeah. I've, back I've heard, I've heard stories where somewhere. like it'll be made in, china or one of those countries and then it'll come to italy and then they'll sort of finish it off and all they'll say oh it's made in italy so it's yeah yeah uh, that's the thing that I've i like about that's the heard of those stories too yeah which i don't like yeah yeah when when you're talking about you know high-end luxury brands that can sell something for many thousands of dollars mm. You know, if they can if they can make an extra thousand dollars off a purchase, then you know they'll think that. Well, yeah, and you know, a lot of Chinese companies they don't care as long as they get paid. You know, they you know they just you know have an agreement where okay, we'll make it for you. We won't tell anyone. You give us a good price for it, and we will call it a day. You know, mm-hmm. and then they get all sort of boxed off, boxed up, and shipped off to Italy, and and. Um, it's either you know sold in Italy or or sold. It could be that's the thing. It could be sold anywhere in the world, and you can put a made in Italy label on it. And who who are they to know? You know, it's um. Uh, I don't think that's. I don't think it happens all the time, but you know, yeah, I've yeah. heard stories of it, of it yeah, happening, exactly. you know, here and there. Yeah, and that's where you really want that. Uh, going again back to that. Um, uh, reliability thing you know if, if you've got a tag and it says made in australia you, you know you can you can be pretty sure it is you know and who would who would make something mm-hmm. overseas and put that that tag on it i mean they'll get yeah. they would lose all credibility if they get exposed mm-hmm. so you certainly don't want to you don't want to go down that road so yeah yeah and it's sort of that it's sort of that education about what goes into a product because i know that you know if i'm designing a wallet you know, you have to factor in the leather you use and like the square foot and, and even just like, you know, you might, you, you know, you might just find out what the square foot is and then, you know, the stuff that's going to be, you know, and that's enough to be like, you know, $40 or $60 yeah. of just leather itself. 
and then you have to yeah. you know add on your labor yeah. and your you know profit or sort of stuff where i think people need to also understand that it's not just you know if you're pricing something that might be a bit expensive it's not you're not making 200 dollars on that item you know you because you have to factor in you know yeah. the leather that might cost you know 60 dollars so you're not making 200 dollars yeah. you so it's a the whole and i think i think we're slowly getting there as well because there's more people who have started to buy more local they're happy to buy pay extra yeah. Yeah, I think it's um, – I think the people who complain about the price of a leather product are not your customer anyway. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, you've got to sort of see it that way. I think if you look at a market and they look at it – and this happened to me. Uh, I had one guy come up to me and I, was, I had a really nice uh, um, trifold wallet, you know, lots of pockets and folds. Yeah. And it's a very complicated design. And I was only selling it for like $65 or something. And he went up to me and said, oh, I'll give you 50 for it. And I'm like, um, no, I can't do that, sorry. Oh, no worries, put it down, he walked off. And uh, I wasn't disappointed because he wasn't my customer. Yeah. He didn't appreciate the, the, the firstly, the, the, the amount of leather that was in it, the amount of workmanship, um, um, you know, the, the quality of the product and everything else. And so you got to sort of, as a, even though I'm very customer focused, I also appreciate there are people who are not your customer. Mm. Anyone comes up and complains about the price, they're not your customer. You know, they yeah. oh, I can buy that. I can buy that at cheapest chips for five bucks. And say, so, well, firstly, what's there is not leather, and um, and uh, you know, it's not the same quality, and it won't last yeah. as long, and it yeah. won't improve with age. A leather, a leather wallet actually gets better as it gets older, you know, whereas you buy something that's artificial, it's going to just look worse and worse the more you use it. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's, yeah, you just got to really say, well, everyone, potentially anyone's my customer, but there are some, I uh, think, well, that's fine. I'm, unfortunately, that's, that's, that's the, um, that's based, based on the, the, um, the materials and the labor that's that's fair price and yeah i don't think it's fair then that's fine you know they'll, they'll go and they'll go off and buy you know cheap plastic one you know but um, but yeah that's it and that, that kind of takes the guilt away as well because you have that kind of designer's guilt you want to you want to yeah, make something you beautiful when you and you and you, you want to sell it you know? exactly and uh not that you're guilty for anything you know you've got you know you just got to you just got to be justified in your own, own mind that um the price and, and for any craftsman that's the hardest this part isn't yeah, it, it like, is. it's had this problem you know well they really got to put a price tag on it and uh, but you don't want to make it too low either because you, you don't want to run out of product i mean you could you could sell things you could go to a market and sell everything off the table in, in two hours if you sell everything for two bucks you know but you know you wouldn't you take take you too long to replace all that stock you know so you gotta you gotta price again yeah craft the skill is it's not it's not fun because it's you know it's yeah it's hard to you know you don't want to sell your products too too low but um not having yeah, too dear as yeah. well if you're going to make uh, if you're going to make leather wallets for example you've got to think well to say your minimalist wallet you've got to say okay how many minimalist wallets can i get out of one hide and then you've got to use up the whole hide Mm-hmm. And uh, and it, getting back to pricing again too, you think well this is the price of the hide, this is the price of each wallet. Then you can work out how many wallets you need to make to first cover the 
cost of the hide itself mm-hmm. and then obviously labor and, and everything on top of that and um but um it would be pretty easy to work out you know it's it's just um just the cost you know the cost of say you can make six wallets out of one hide then okay each if each wallet is fifty dollars and uh, you've bought the hide for eighty dollars then you then you need to make one you know, about two wallets to cover that the, the cost of the hide then the other three would be labor and profit you know so you could probably kind of work out things without actually being a mathematician you know you, could, you know just based on what you know each hide is worth and how much time it takes to make everything and because like any business you've got to you've got to um uh, um you've got to work out what your billable hours are for, if you know what i mean like um say if you're a graphic designer for example and you're doing posters and advertising and that for clients you can't bill eight hours a day because you're doing other things you're doing your accounting you're doing um you know stock replenishment you're doing you're doing you know um taking phone calls you're doing a lot of other things um, so you got to think, well, can my billable hours is say five hours a day, even though I'm working eight hours a day. So you've got to work out, okay, I need to make X amount per month, cover my expenses and make a little money for paying my rent or mortgage or, and car payments and everything else. And then you've got to work out how much you need to charge based on what your monthly target is. So see, that's the business brain side of things you've got to think of like that and um so um that's what oh. saying you can be a designer but you got to think you got to think how much money do i need to make a month and that's pretty easy to work out you know you can work out and that's a good target like we we work better towards targets anyway if we've got a if we've got a, a target like i need to earn this much per month it doesn't matter if i fluctuate week to week at the end of the month i need to have this much to survive and uh and that and you think, well, okay, that means I need to make so many wallets, so many bags, so many key rings, so many whatever, just to, I need to sell that much to make that much per month to, so I can do it again next month. And uh, so, yeah, you don't, like I'm not a mathematician by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, it's pretty easy to work out. You know, you just have to work out your target amount and how much you need to make. Um for that month and then just work out okay i need to sell that much you know you kind of work it out you know you wouldn't get an exact amount but you but you need that target if you know what i mean you know like uh, when you're starting out you might sell a couple of wallets at a market whoa you know a win you know (laughs) and then you know you may not go to another market for another month and you know and so you haven't really made any money because you've only covered the cost of your materials you know Mm. but um yeah you know market market fees and everything else so so but it's good to have it's good to have a a target yeah yeah i do like that because i remember my what the market that i went to i think i i remember i did i did two it was was over like some weekends but i remember one time i think i made sold two wallets or one wallet something like that and it's just yeah like you know you you know all your hard work and effort but then you know the market fee is fifty dollars to just to have a stall so you know (laughs) you know your your sales do get chewed up quite easily you know before you actually do 
Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Like I had an Etsy sale the other day. Um, it was only a $6.50 item. It wasn't even leatherwork. It was just a bit of hardware that I had left over. I've been selling. And I thought, well, the, by the time I did the, the bought the um, post pack and, and the stamp oh, and everything yeah. else, I think I made like 50 cents. Oh, really? <laughs> it's like, oh, cause it, cause, yeah, because it's, 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 it's just a small item, but you yeah. know, you've got to package it. And because it was metal, I had to protect it so it didn't get bent in the mail. And because uh, it's just sort of like um, thin metal, so I had to make sure it wasn't going to get damaged in the process. And I thought, oh, I've just done all this work, and I only made like fifty cents yeah. <laughs> from a six dollar fifty item, you know. And uh, but that's that's the bit, you know. Obviously, you know, mailing off cheap things like that isn't going to get you anywhere. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, but I think. Uh, my my ultimate goal is to have a, a um, uh, sort of a, a factory outlet. So I have the sort of workshop in the back, and I have the factory outlet in the front, and uh, so people can actually come in, and you know you have some foot traffic if you know what I mean. And not yeah. that you're relying solely on foot traffic because you can yeah. you have online sales yeah. and you know you can sell to other stores and and uh, all that sort of stuff as well. But mm-hmm. Um, you just got to have a strategy that covers a lot of different um, ways of selling. That's probably my main point. Yeah. 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 Mm. Um, yeah, actually, that's handy as well because I was going to ask. Um, so how do, you, how do you see craftsmanship with the use of the internet? Uh, it's definitely um, sense that uh, it makes more of a level playing field. Um, and obviously a lot more players. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, but algorithms. Yes, and that gets back to one of your original questions about you know standing out. You know, it's um, especially online. And um, definitely, if you want to stand out online, you've got to have good photography and oh, um, yeah. put a little effort into it and um, and that sort of thing and. Uh, um, but everything, you know, just obviously the product itself. But as long as people can see the product or at least be able to click on it and get a, a Zoom view of it or something like that. And um, um, uh, But, yes, yeah, online, you know, with the old sort of shopping cart thing and, you know, what colour should the buttons be and you know, all these things that people obsess about, you know, they're important, um, you know, but uh, I think... Um, I think it's reasonably easy to stand out regardless of the crowd, particularly when I, I call it the, 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 the brown cardboard box crowd who don't really have any control over the design process or anything. They're just trying to sell something they imported from who knows where. And, um, and uh, um, that's, what, that's what I like. That's what attracts me to making things. You stand out straight away. You can say designed you know, if you're a designer company, like a perfect example would be um, a company like um, Nike or Adidas. You know, they're probably the best known companies for making, you know, not necessarily leather products, but they do make some. Is there a design company? They design the product. They design the 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 advertising. They design the packaging. They design the selling experience. Um, 
they they don't actually they don't make anything they don't make the shoes they make them in china who knows where but because they're a design company they can yeah they can they can have control of the whole image of 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 the brand yeah no i actually thought that was quite interesting because i never thought of it those brands in that sort of way as them being designing companies yeah most of the biggest design brands don't make anything they're just a big um um, they have a HQ somewhere where they, you know, one floor is the design department, the other one's the, you know, packaging, or the other one's the, the accounting department, the one, the, the other one's the uh, licensing agreement company that actually make the things. You know, they, you know, they, they, they have their product development department, but they don't actually make anything, you know, as such. You know, they, they just organise everything. They're like. Um, it's a bit like the, um, you know, like if you own McDonald's, you know, you don't actually, the company that the headquarters don't make hamburgers, they just design everything else, you know, and all the franchisees, they they're the ones that actually make the hamburgers, you know, so they kind of, but if you if you if you want to stand out as a company, even just a one man show, you know, if you're making things, you you have complete control of what you make, when you make it. Um, you know uh, who you sell it to. You a lot more flexibility. You know, you know. Whereas, um, take a let's say a company like like uh, Adidas. You know, they make more than just shoes. They make all sorts of things. But but they just organise people to do it for them. But I yeah. think if you're a design company that also makes things, then you've got the best of both worlds. You know, and uh, you're not relying other people to to make things properly because you can make get someone to make it and then you get it and you think oh this is rubbish you know it's they didn't make it properly it's not the right size or you know it's it's they've used cheap materials or it's falling apart or it's got holes in it or you know just all sorts of horrible things can go on um that's why i think it's it's great when you're a manufacturer because you not only control the product but you can control the, the your brand image as well and um and push it in any direction. You got more agile. You know, if you see a change in the market, you can, you can, you can feel that without having to think. Oh, now I have to go talk to Pakistan and get them to change that design. You know, it's kind of yeah, it's too hard. I think a lot easier to talk to the people that actually make things on on the spot. Yeah, I remember I saw a video and one of the people was saying that because like modern day you know, companies, governments, they're so humongous. Yeah. People are more going back to, um, there's something more satisfying as to just going back and you're sort of making it yourself. Yeah. You can't understand, you know, how, you know, I can't even fathom how, you know, Nike would, like, how, how it's structure, you know, whereas, you know, I'd go out into the shed and make a leather product and, you know, you are the, head designer, photographer, you know, you are all those people yes. creating it. You know, you don't have, you know, it would be nice to have a photographer or a designer to, but you sort of embody all those careers when you're making something yourself. Oh, yeah. Some designs, as you know, with your minimalist wallet, you know, sometimes the simplest things can be the most beautiful. And, um, and that, for example, so you don't have to, over-engineer anything you just have to think well how can i make it look 
absolutely fantastic, you know, and um, and make it really well. And even if it is a minimalist thing, sometimes the really busy products, they just look, you know, they're just like, you can tell they're cheap, you know, although you can tell that they're made in China or somewhere just by the fact that how many pockets are on that bag or whatever. And it's like, well, there's a lot of work going into it, but it's, it, it's it just doesn't look good, you know. I don't think a lot of these 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 people who make these things and really understand the customer. They just think, oh, if I put as many features in it as possible, then it's going to sell. But sometimes I think, oh, it's just too much. You know, it's too bulky, too too complicated. Too many things can break or go wrong, and you know, I'm not going to go near it. So, so yeah. Yeah, it's, I remember. Uh, I remember I took apart a I took apart a wallet just just to see what's inside of it. This a you know, mass produced wallet. Yeah. And yeah, there was just so much labor in that wallet. You know, there was cardboard for structure. There was just all this stitching and yeah, linings and all sorts of yeah, things. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure if it's nylon lining or whatever lining it is. It's yeah. Yeah. Is it? Is this? And then you know, with with a wallet that I that I make or that you make, it's just it's just you know, two pieces of leather. You know, leather, leather, tea pocket with a pocket on front and it's just, and then stitched around the outside. It's just, yeah. you know, a lot more, um, a lot less labor as opposed to some of these manufactured wallets. Yeah. Yeah. No, I always sort of wondered about that too. I thought, you know, they I think, I think they, the only reason they're making that way is so they don't have to use so much leather. Yeah, well, exactly. You know, yeah, exactly. The only leather you see is the leather that's on the outside. You know, there's nothing yeah. on the inside. It's <laughs> leather, you know. And uh, so, you know, because they're looking, they're working in, in volume, obviously. I think yeah, they can exactly. save, yeah. they can save ten cents on a wallet. You know, uh, you know, ten thousand times that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So, uh, can understand why you do it. But again, that's that market. You know, it's um, and again, you have. Western companies are doing that. Like Colorado used to be, they used to have their own stores. They used to have sell uh, clothes and boots and, and bags and everything. Now the only, they still make boots, but they don't sell them in their own branded stores anymore. But, uh, yeah, you go into these bag shops and they're just full of Colorado wallets and uh, lot just dozens and dozens of different designs. And uh, But you can tell they don't make them. They're just made in China or somewhere. They just put their brand on it. But because they had that that brand history, they can do that in a way. Yeah. You know, exactly. they can just they're, they're probably a bit like bit like uh, a bit like Nike and Adidas. You know, they don't once once they once they get into sort of thing. Okay, we'll just order another fifty thousand of this and the fifty thousand that, and they distribute it to all the different bag shops around the world. That's probably more than enough for them now. And. Uh, but they're not designing. They're not design a company anymore. They're just a, just a yeah commodity. Well, talk talking about design because you said you had your designer background. Did you design that logo yourself? I did. Yeah. Oh wow, yeah. that's impressive. Okay. Yeah, I, I I went in there. I did so many different versions of it, different fonts and different styles, and and um, even different names uh, in the early days. Just you know, because mm. Gully was only one option at one point. And um, yeah, I'd, I still can show you. I got hundreds of different designs, and and that 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 font that um, that I use is actually a modified font as well. So it's not it's not a hundred percent existing font. 
so I went in there and, and simplified it as well so and yeah. um, you know condensed it down and and took out some of the um, some of the some of the serifs on it and that sort of thing and yeah really played around with the spacing between the letters everything everything is is basically artwork now it's not it's not it's not a font anymore so yeah. um, Oh, I should have got yeah. you to design my logo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've designed a lot of logos in my time. Oh, really? Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. What, um, yeah. any ones in particular stand out? Logos? Yeah, that um, you've designed. Um, oh, um, not really. I mean, they're all done years ago, like I, like when I was working for newspapers or something like that. Or yeah. a design studio, um, 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 yeah, nothing that really stands out. I did so many. I mainly focus on the advertising side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, occasionally, they might say, "Well, I don't actually have a logo," and I would sort of create one for them and say, "You like it?" And they go, "Love it." <laughs> and then their okay, it's yours, you know. So it was just part of the advertising um, most of the time, and because um, people knew they needed to advertise, but they didn't really have a sort of a um, you know, sort of a um, a brand kind of perspective, so we kind of had to help them out a little bit. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And uh, oh, cool. yeah. Some, I mean, a lot of them didn't have any idea. I mean, they sold swimming pools, or who knows what. They weren't really marketing people, you know. So they kind of come to us, and yeah. we would um, we would help them out, get everything all neat and tidy. Sometimes they they would have a logo, and I wouldn't even have it. I'd say, oh. Um, can you uh, can you send me a logo? You know, and I, I get them to. Um, this is the old days when they had fax machines. I say, can you blow it up in the photocopy as big as you can make it, and then fax it to me, and then I'd fa- they'd fax it to me, and I'd because it'd be all pixelated. I have to go with the pen and straighten it all up again. Yeah. And uh, and then yeah, so that some some people just had no idea how important the logo was. Yeah. And uh, you know, you know, it's sort of like it was almost like an afterthought. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, do you have a logo? And they're like, do I need one? <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, yeah, funny. Some people manage to have a business and not even have a logo. It just scratch my head sometimes. But, yeah. 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 I remember my first logo that I made. I made it myself. It was just on on Word. Yeah. And, you know, you just make, you know, play around with the the font, and then you get the, you know, the line, and then. It's, screen clip it and make it a but i was um ended up getting a logo done well last year i say that now yeah so yeah it's uh i see the i just need a stamp now need to get a stamp made up yeah yeah yeah, i've got a few stamps made up too so my logo actually has a few different versions yeah um that i would use for different different things so it's the same logo essentially but some are more horizontal and some are vertical and yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. So uh, I have a, I have some variations, and um, yeah, which I'll potentially be using. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah, but that was all, all all part of the design process as well. You know, as it yeah. wasn't. I said it was always about designing a company rather than just designing a product. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, yeah. I think it was, th- and that's the advantage that designers have. Is that they, they can think, okay, I can just create my own advertising, I can create my own yeah. graphics, I can create my own logo, I can do, create my own invoices, I can create 
create my own posters, you know, and uh, then, you know, and of course, if you're a product designer, you think I'll design my products as well, you know, mm -hmm. and then design the whole way the business runs on top of it. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I and, like the, uh, the, the waterfall that goes down. I like that. Yeah, well, I'm glad you did because some some people um, it doesn't it. I, I wanted to create a logo that wasn't completely obvious, but not not um, cryptic either. So you do get some people go, "What is that?" Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah. So I wanted that because I wanted people to take a second look as well. Like, yeah. Um, and I didn't want it to be like completely um, uh, minimalist logo. I'm actually, even though I love minimalist design, I don't like minimalist logos. You know, like, like you got, like you got, min, you got like, minimalist. yeah, like you got a logo that's just an orange square or something, and you go like, well, what did they do? You know, it's like it was just all of a trend, you know, because like anything, you know, the uh, graphic design industry goes through these trends, which means people are copying each other. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you kind of like go through this huge stage where every all the logos were like really cryptic, and you're like, how does that help anyone understand what they do? Oh yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I think when I look at a logo, it should be, you should be able to see what it is like yeah. straight away. I don't like the. Yeah, it's you know there's just like a letter and they put a triangle with it and it's just. Yeah, what, exactly. And then it's, uh, it's yeah, it's all encrypted. That's why it's very important. I had the word leather in my logo because I want yeah. people to know straight away. Ah, okay, they have something to do with leather. You know, yeah. and uh, and a lot of leather makers do that, fortunately, and uh, they always seem to have leather in their in their in their logo. Not all of them, but uh, a yeah. lot of them, which is good. Yeah. So well, it was interesting when I was getting my logo designed because I remember, you know, I was write, writing it out on paper and that sort of stuff. And originally it was going to be like Joseph, you know, leather, and then have you know two threads, you know, coming yeah. down to the bottom, like tied up. You know, from, yeah. coming from two spools either side, and the graphic yeah. designer who I got it through, she said about, you know, these days it's more like you want it more simple. You know, you don't want it to be complicated. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I'm really happy how she designed my my one now with the J with the thread. Yeah, yeah. Like I, my when I design my business card, I actually just down one side of the card I put a stitch line. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah, just not the part of like not part of the logo itself. It's just mm -hmm. just a single stitch line that runs down the right side of the I think it's the right side of the business card. Yeah. And just simple, just do, 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 just let no people know. Okay, it's um because people love you get people look at leather products and they always look at the stitching. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to put stitching. Yes, I love looking at it, making sure it's all lined up. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's good. Nah, thanks for that, Steve. I think I'll. Uh, that was a good episode over an hour. Was uh, it? Oh well. That's good. I'll um, I'll make sure I'll link your Etsy in the description, so if anyone wants to check out your website, they really can. So no, nah, thanks for being on the on the show. I appreciate Steve. it. No, it's been great. It's been great. Yeah. I have to, I have to get you back. Yeah. Because like with this. I didn't know all that stuff about you before. You know, you. Oh yeah, I've got a lot of facets. I want to hear definitely. <laughs> yes, I haven't even gone into my writing or uh, or uh, illustration or anything like that yet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 
yeah, there's a, a lot of I got, uh, yeah, a lot of things happening, and uh, sometimes you got to got to go in different directions to get a bit of an overview of what you're capable of. So yeah.